Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. Hey, have you noticed that Pastor Dallas and Natalie are back from Israel? Let's welcome them back. Sounds like they had a great trip. Um, I'm usually up here to introduce uh, one of our impact partners. My name is John Grover, and um, I usually uh, have the privilege of doing that and introducing someone to tell about what they're doing somewhere around the world in the missions world or here locally in the impact partners that we support. But I have the privilege this morning of telling you about Cambodia Impact, the organization that Linda and I started and uh, run today. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. You know, there's a, a great movement of God taking place all over the world today, a great missions movement. And it started back at Pentecost as the church began to grow. And today there are missions organizations all over this world, not in every single tribe, nation, and tongue just yet, but getting closer all the time. There's an estimated 25 million new converts to Christ every year in this world. 25 million. So heaven is going to be uh, well populated someday. And Linda and I are privileged to be just a little small part of that uh, in the country of Cambodia. We also work in uh, Burma, Myanmar, but we haven't been able to get there for a while because of the war taking place there. But in Cambodia, which I'll talk about this morning, we've had the privilege just in the last 18 months or so of seeing over 3,000 people come to Christ in the villages we work in and the work that we're doing in those villages. There's a lot of people that are uh, coming out of spiritual darkness and into the light of Jesus Christ. So I'll share more about some of those stories with you in just a moment. But, you know, Jesus said in um, John chapter 4 that the fields are ripe for harvest, and they are. They are. And in Cambodia, uh, that is certainly true right now. The country is open to the gospel. People are interested and willing to listen. The government has not placed restrictions on our ability to go out and share um, our faith. So uh, we're, we're very pleased about that. There's some rumblings that that could be changing, but uh, that's all in God's hands. So um, let me open in prayer this morning. Father, would you bless our time this morning? Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness for your abiding love for your people. Thank you that you continue to call the lost all over the world to yourself. Lord, I pray that you will open our hearts to your call upon our life and our place in the missions movement. And Lord, I pray that your will and your purposes for our lives would be accomplished. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to share just a couple of uh, verses this morning just to kind of place what I'm going to say in some context. It's not a sermon as such, because I want to tell you about what is taking place in Cambodia. But um, I do this to kind of provide the, the backdrop, if you will, as to how we go about doing ministry in Cambodia. I first went there in 2009, and um, Linda and I fell in love with that place. We knew clearly that God was calling us to that place. And so we told God, if you want us to move to Cambodia, we'll go live there. And uh, he did not do that. Our role has been to be this bridge between the Western world here and the Eastern world in Cambodia, the Asian world. And so we live with a foot in two different worlds. And, uh, 
is challenging at times, but we love it. So um, I believe that all of us who are followers of Christ are either a goer or a sender. And uh, most of us would be in the sending category. Uh, if God has called you to go to the mission field somewhere, then uh, praise God for that. But the rest of us get to send those that go. And so I think we're all either uh, one of those two actively involved in the work of spreading the gospel all over the world. So um, I want to share a, a verse, and I'm going to read just the first part of that verse to you. Um, and I'll explain why I'm reading this verse in just a moment. It's found in 2 Chronicles 16.9. 2 Chronicles 16.9, where it says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. So this verse was, um, this passage in 2 Chronicles was during the reign of King Asa. He was a good king. His father and his grandfather before him, not so much. They were bad kings. His great-grandfather was King Solomon. Great-great-great-grandfather was King David. And along comes King Asa. And as a young king, he, um, he did good in the sight of God, in the eyes of God. And fairly quickly in his reign, they found out that the Ethiopian army was coming against them and estimated to be a million strong, a very powerful army. And King Asa cried out to God, he cried out to his God, Jehovah God, save us, save our people. And God did indeed save the kingdom of Judah. So 10 years or so go by, and uh, King Asa has now uh, firmly entrenched his king with his power, with his authority, his wealth, his experience. He's learned a lot as king. He knows how to run a kingdom now. And now he finds there's a new threat. The Syrian king is coming after him with his army, coming after the southern kingdom of Judah. So what does King Asa do? He does not cry out to God this time. He devises his own plan. He uses his own strength and experience, the own tools he has at his disposal. And theologians, many of them say that it actually was a brilliant plan. It succeeded, but it made God very angry. And this is the prophet Hanani that is saying these words to King Asa in this passage. He's reminding King Asa that the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro across the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. There's both um, an invitation in this verse and a warning. King Asa did it right the first time. He failed completely the second time because he stole God's glory. He did not give God the opportunity to step in and save his people, which is what God does. He loves to save his people. I don't know about you, but I've been guilty of this very thing in my own life. You know, think about your own career. You get good at what you do at some point. You keep learning and growing, and it's just too easy to fall back on your own strength and your own ability to solve problems and do things in your life and rob God of the glory of saving you. And 
I just find this is a great reminder. So the passage goes on to describe uh, God's anger. Um, and then it describes the king's anger against Hanani. He was uh, furious with this prophet of God, and uh, he became very oppressive to his people. King Asa then developed a serious health issue in his feet and soon died. But um, let me just read that second part of that passage. I read you just the first section of that verse where it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this, it says, you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. Does that ever describe your life? you ever take the bull by the horns and do it yourself? And you have trials, you have problems. And God said to King Asa, you are going to have continuous war from now on. And I think in our modern day uh, lives that could describe from now on, if you're not obedient, if you don't allow me to be the one, the king of your life to save you, from now on you're going to have heartache and grief and strife, all kinds of problems. So there's a, there's a great warning there in the life of King Asa. He apparently was no longer teachable. And he showed great pride. If, if, if you weren't here last week, you should go listen to the message last Sunday from Richard uh, out of Colossians 3, and he talks about pride. And a uh, very timely message. And King Asa suffered from that. And I think we all do. It's a battle that I take on regularly in my own life. So this passage shows that um, God's doing a couple of things in this passage. And certainly when God looks at the earth and looks at us, he's doing more than just two things. But in this passage it says that he's looking for a certain kind of people, people with a loyal heart. And it says that as his eyes search the earth, he's looking for someone that's committed to him. And secondly, then, when he finds that loyal heart, he shows himself strong by taking our weakness and our lack of ability, and he provides his strength and his power. This word uh, in the Hebrew is, is, is the word shalem, and it's translated in the New King James Version as loyal, uh, as you see on the screen, but it also translated in other places as a heart that is complete, it's safe, it's whole. And it's at peace. That's the heart I want. I know that the longer I live, the more important it is to me that I have a peaceful heart, a peaceful life. So what does this have to do with Cambodia impact? Well, I'll tell you what it is. We, uh, given that Linda and I don't live there full time, we, we spend some months of the year in Cambodia. We rely on partnerships there that are very key and important to us. We have staff, we have uh, quite a few people that are on our staff in Cambodia, Cambodian nationals. We partner with churches and with pastors and organizations there. And uh, it's, it's, quite a, it's quite a job to find the people with capacity, with the heart to serve, with a great heart. And we have found many of those people in, in Cambodia. And uh, we know that none of us 
can search the heart of another human being. That's God's job. Certainly not mine. But we can see the fruit of a life, can't we? We can see the evidence of their passion for Jesus. What do they do when things are going bad? Do they turn to God? Or do they have a prayerful life? Are they humble? You know, those, the fruit of the Spirit is evident in one's life. And so when we're in Cambodia, that's a big part of what we do. We're constantly with people, and we're um, looking for evidence of those that we can join with in the work that they do and add the work that we do that God's called us to do. And, uh, and I, I can just tell you it's been heartwarming, uh, encouraging, and very fruitful. So I want to share the stories of uh, a few of the people we work with over there, and I'm going to apologize in advance for these slides. I've got some pictures for you that probably be hard to see. Some of them are taken with our Cambodian friends' uh, iPhones, which are knockoffs, so uh, they're probably going to be a little, little small, so I'll try to explain them the best I can. But I'd like you to meet Pastor Saran and his dear wife, Sophonette. They're on their right there in front of the, their church, the little Spikong church that actually local people here built um, back in 2002, I believe. This little church is uh, in the northern part of Cambodia on the outskirts of a town called Batabong. And Linda and I spend a lot of time in Battambang, a lot of dear friends there. And this church is one of a cluster of six little uh, villages that we do a lot of work in. And Spai Kong, and that church right there is a hub for a lot of ministry that takes place in that region of Cambodia. There's a... It's, it's a real challenge because Cambodia is a largely Buddhist nation. There's a lot of spiritism and animism there. They worship their ancestors, and there's a tremendous amount of fear everywhere all the time. They believe that evil spirits are out to get them constantly. And so this idea of uh, hope in Jesus Christ and a, a future with the Lord is just totally foreign to them. But once they grasp that idea... It's very attractive to them. So it's a very fatalistic culture as well. Buddhism believes in reincarnation, which means that if I live a very, uh, if I'm poor, uh, if, if my sister's been trafficked, if whatever the variety of things that can happen in Cambodia take place, well then, oh well, there's nothing that you and I can do about that because I must have lived or she must have lived a very poor life in the one prior to this one. So nothing I can do about that. We'll just have to wait till the next life. So the whole culture lives with that kind of fatalistic outlook. And it's, it's a country in deep poverty. Much of it is still uh, very, very poor. One def definition of poverty is the amount of time it takes for one person to earn enough money to eat for one day. And in developing countries and in poor countries, that's often all day long. You work all day today to earn enough money to eat today. And that's true of so many people in Cambodia. So they, they, uh, because there's a lack of food and uh, clean water and all kinds of uh, illnesses there, children, so many of them grow up. Uh, well, UNICEF has a report out that talks about stunted and wasted children. It's an epidemic in Cambodia. Kids are small. They don't grow properly. They don't grow up physically strong. Um, and as a result of that, they don't tend to go to school. So 
Kids, so many kids have chronic diarrhea. They are, you know, runny noses and sore throats and coughs. And so they just don't go to school. And there's this whole cycle that repeats itself generation after generation. Kids are sick. They can't go to school. They grow up illiterate. They can't get a good job. Repeat. And so they just keep having babies and doing the same thing over and over again. So that's the environment that Linda and I go into when we're out in these villages in Cambodia. So um, I'd like to introduce you to Mr. Tree and Mrs. Knee. Tree and Knee. Just a dear old couple. They, uh, you see the tattoo writing on his chest. I'll explain that in just a moment. But I was with... Pastor Saran one day, and he said, uh, would you go with me out into the village and pray for a woman? I said, sure. So we went to this little house, and there this couple was. I'd never met them before. They were brand new Christians. And she was the primary breadwinner for her family. Three generations living in this home. And we sat at this little table, and um, I heard her story. As the primary breadwinner, she had this little cart she would push up and down this, the dirt roads around the village, and it had a, a sugarcane grinding machine on it. And so she'd carry a stock of sugarcane, and somebody wanted a drink of sugarcane juice, she would hand them a cup, put it down in front of the little spigot, she'd put a stock of sugarcane in this grinder, and there you have it. It's excellent. It's very good. She got her right hand in that grinder one day. And it ground her fingers all the way down to just a stump here. So when I went to pray with her, pray for her, she was devastated, uh, crying, tears running down her face. And so I, I held her hand and we prayed and we got finished. And I said, so um, what does this family plan to do? And Saran talked to her for a while and said, they have no idea how they're going to eat. But she said, if we just had some water on our little plot of land here, we could grow some vegetables. And I, I could work with vegetables with my hand the way it is. And I think we could sell them at the market and make enough money to feed our family. So we left that day, and um, we provided the money to put in a well and a pump on her property. And they began to grow vegetables. And they indeed flourished, made more money than they ever had before. And so it's like the little light bulb went off, right? Hey, if that worked there, why won't it work in a lot of places? So, um, and by the way, I don't think to this day they know where that money came from, and I hope that remains the case, because we work through the local church. And it's the pastor in the local church that is the hub and the center for people's activity. And so we want that to be the place they go, and the place they see that God answers their prayers. So... Just a delightful couple. Uh, the next picture is, uh, is their first little well. It's uh, on the, the man in the plaid shirt there, the green plaid shirt, is Pastor Saran. And his wife's peeking out from behind the couple on the left. That's Tree and Knee. And they have their little tiny well and little tiny pump, and they're growing vegetables and just living life well. We call this, by the way, the Living Water Project. So we begin to put in wells on other people's property. We've, we're up to 52 of them now, and a family that gets a well gets it for free, but they agree to pro provide water free to their neighbors, and they agree to host a Bible study one day a week at their home. And uh, it's just been remarkable what has happened there. So there's generally about 10 to 12 families that get free water, and uh, this is not just clean water. 
it's a job because they can all grow vegetables now. And there are very few jobs to be found in Cambodia. There's no infrastructure. It's hard to put your mind around the fact that if there's no roads and uh, much of the country doesn't have electricity and there's no stores and no factories, where do you go to work? They don't have transportation. So many are illiterate, they're just stuck in this cycle of poverty. So believe it or not, water and a little irrigation provides them a job so they can now care for their family. Um, and their kids are not sick anymore, so they can go to school. So it's, it's just been a, a, a great thing to do. This uh, cluster of six villages in the last year and a half or so, there's almost 2,000 people that have become followers of Christ. The church is just exploding there. So doors are wide open. By the way, this is one of my all-time favorite pictures, and the reason for that is that Tree there, without the shirt on, was a Khmer Rouge soldier back in the 70s during the killing fields. He was a soldier under Pol Pot when they brought genocide onto that nation. And um, in this picture, he's just a brand new believer, brand new. Standing next to him is Saran, who in 1975, the year that Pol Pot took over and began the genocide of that nation, Saran was five years old. The soldiers took his family. They killed, executed his father. His mother disappeared. They didn't know if he was, if she was uh, dead or alive. They took little Saran to a camp out in the jungle with two or three hundred other little boys, and they made them pick up cow dung 18 hours a day. That's how he lived. Very little food. Um, many, many of those little boys didn't make it. They died from starvation from illness, or this simple execution from those soldiers. One day, a soldier caught Saran eating an ear of corn he found. And um, they accused him of stealing from Angkor, which uh, the government from Pol Pot, and they took him out into the jungle, and they stripped him naked, and they tied him to a tree, the trunk of a tree, and they placed these large red ants all over him and left him there to die. Uh, large red ants in Cambodia are something to stay away from. They're very dangerous. Somehow he survived that. And he, in fact, survived till uh, late in 1979 when the Vietnamese army came in and liberated Cambodia. Little Saran now is nine years old. He walks back to Bantambang, uh, his hometown. And he hears that Mom may have survived. And she might be at a refugee camp in, Cambodia, or in Thailand. So he begins to walk. Meanwhile, mom, in fact, did survive in Thailand in a refugee camp. And she hears her son may have lived. So she begins to walk to Battambang. Now, this is, a, this is a walk, a journey of 62 miles. It's like walking from Modesto to Elk Grove. Nine years old. No one to guard you, no one to lead you, no one to give you food, no one to help you. He said he saw many, many people blown up along the roads from the landmines and all the ordnance left over. He made it there, and of course, somewhere along the way, they, they passed each other. And uh, it was 19 years before they were reunited as mother and son. So I love this picture because here's a former Khmer Rouge soldier and a pastor who is a five-year-old boy had his family decimated by that army. 
now serving Christ together, neighbors together, in the same church together. Right after this picture was taken, Tree said to uh, Saran, would you tell John that for the first time in my life, I now know what peace is in here. I've never experienced that before. So this family, uh, Saran and Sofanette and so many others are so very, very dear to Linda and me. They're, they're family. They, yeah, I, I don't have time to go into it, but they, they consider me a brother because they consider my dad their father and my mom their mother. They, my parents went there in 1976, and Saran was a translator for them. And given that he had lost his father, my dad became his dad. So now he'll say, hey, John, uh, how is dad doing? Oh, dad's doing great. Yeah, he's fine. How's mom feeling? Yeah, she's okay. And so we just have a wonderful relationship. A man with a passion to serve Jesus Christ. I sat at breakfast with him one morning, and I asked Sofanet, who doesn't speak English, but through a translator, what do you dream about in life? And she says, you know, I want to make lots of money. I thought, oh, no, that's not good. And, but she says, no, I just want enough money to feed my children. That's all I want. No more than that. Feed my children. The rest I want to go to the kingdom of God to reach my nation for Christ. That's how dedicated this family is. They have grown children now that are on our staff as well and uh, just doing some wonderful work. So we, uh, we're putting all these wells in now, and we've got Bible studies taking place. We've hired Bible teachers to go out. But the problem is they have clean water, but they have terrible sanitation. So many people in Cambodia have no toilets. They, they just don't. They, so they go out in the bush around the house, and it's very unsanitary and unhealthy. So we realize we have to do something about that as well. So we begin to put in these little uh, toilets. So every one of them looks different because they pick all the materials. They just look like the grapes of wrath to us, but they love them. Um, they're inexpensive, but they work really super well. There's no flies, there's no odor, and now clean water and good sanitation. Healthy family. So it sounds so simple and sounds so basic, but it is life-changing. I can tell you that there are many, many young girls that are safe at home today because their family is healthy and they've not been sold into a brothel or some other horrible circumstance because of something just this simple. So they provide the labor. Um, we provide a little bit of the material. They provide most of it. They literally go cut down limbs out in the jungle, and that's the post for the corners. And so, By the way, women are particularly happy about the toilets, more so than clean water. I don't know if that's a surprise, but there's a couple of good reasons for that. If a woman goes out in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, she uh, is very common that they're assaulted, sexually assaulted at night. It's also a very dangerous thing to do. And secondly, there's a lot of cobra snakes in Cambodia. So imagine going out in the middle of the night, you're, you're outside, it's dark, and you get bit by a cobra. That's often deadly. So... They are thrilled with their little toilets. We just completed another dozen or so in the last week or 10 days. So this led to, now we have Bible studies taking place. We have all these little house churches all over the place. And they are marvelous. Linda and I, um, you know, there's open air or maybe just under a shelter of some kind. And uh, 
people come from all over, and there's a worship time. Somebody has a guitar, and there's teaching, and we don't understand a word they say, but we love every minute of it because it's just a joyful expression of hope in Jesus Christ. So, and then I'll tell you just briefly about Antioch Orphanage. Uh, when I went there in 2009, we, um, you know, we, we were focused on kids. We still are focused on children because they're the most vulnerable in that country, in any developing country. And uh, they bear the brunt of all the bad, nasty things that can happen in a place like that. So those are just some of our kids, right? We started this orphanage in 2010 with 10 kids, and we're at 64 now. We're maxed out. There's actually more than 64. They're not supposed to be there, but they are. Um, and so we've, we've, built, we've built eight houses. In each house, we found house parents from the local churches that agreed to take in either eight boys or eight girls. And they raised these kids as family. We've, we've established homes for these kids from out in the villages and the provinces that were at great risk. It's, I don't have time to share the stories of these children and what they've gone through just to get to a place of safety like this. And so um, we love those kids. When we leave, we've got these wonderful grandkids here at home that we miss and cry and we leave them. And we get over there and we are mobbed by this crowd, just mobbed. You can hardly stand up. We've got such a crowd of kids around us. And so when we leave there, it's sad and we cry. And so um, these kids, by the way, get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. They spend 30 minutes in a worship, Bible study, and prayer. They eat their breakfast, and then they go off to school. And so our prime values for these kids is they, they learn to know the Word of God and have a relationship with Him, with their Creator, and that they get a good education. And then we hope that they launch into life and become good citizens of Cambodia, making a difference in that country. We built a... A sports area there for them. There's a soccer and volleyball. We have a large kitchen area, outdoor assembly area. Uh, of course, the church is there. We built a computer lab. We have 30 brand new laptop computers there donated by somebody here locally. and It's a wonderful place. Then I'd like to introduce you to Sokshanti. There's Shanti. He's this wonderful 35-year-old young man. He's a leader, he's a pastor, he's a church planter, he's an expert in uh, water systems and sanitation. He's uh, one of those guys that kind of does everything. He, he spent the last 10, we hired him about a year ago. Prior to that, he was with Samaritan's Purse for 10 years, and uh, he just does a wonderful job in leading that region called Biente Manche, which is up against the Thai border in northwestern Cambodia. And so we're busy up there uh, planting churches and helping churches and doing water systems. Uh, he goes to uh, a church called Jesus Saves You Church. Is that a great name for a church or what? Jesus Saves You Church. There it is. His dad is the pastor. He's 72 years old. Shanti will soon become the pastor there. And uh, this is a border town right on the, 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 the Thai border. And it's a gambling town, so there's casinos all up and down the border there. And so uh, local Christians know that as the Sodom and Gomorrah of Cambodia. And it's, it's, you know, drugs, prostitution, gambling, gangs, the whole gamut. And Shanti and his family have elected to go to that city right in the middle of it and spend their life there and reach it for Christ. 
Just an incredible place. These, I'm, I'm, I, ho- I, hope you're, I hope you're hearing me when I say, I don't know these people's heart, but I see the evidence of what it is. And uh, they're just giving up an awful lot for the cause of Christ. So one thing that Shanti did while Linda and I were there in June and July this year is he arranged, he arranged a baptism time so that we could be there. And uh, there's a local water park. And uh, there it is, this big pool. There were 75 Cambodians baptized that day. It's fantastic. They, uh, there was a baptism. There was a worship team there. They um, had food and fellowship and laughter and fun, and it was just a great day. And that was one of three, by the way, that we helped organize, and uh, we were not able to attend the other two. One had a group of 17 baptized, and the other had a group of 42. The 42 group were all youth, every one of them, youth. So 134 people baptized during that time, and it's like the early church over there. It's just, you know, it's just uh, fantastic to be a part of that. Uh, there's another way they baptize there. It's just some tarps, and they fill it with water, and there you have it, baptism. There's yet a third way on that next slide. It's in a, yeah, there's a water pot. That's what they collect the rainwater in during the monsoon season that uh, hopefully will last a while. And so you can get baptized just about anywhere. Hey, Dallas, just a thought, right? Um, one of the things that we just completed that Shanti was responsible for was the installation of a biosand bio filter system in the village of Salakrao. It's where we have a house church. Um, if you go back one slide, Ben, that one there, the water in the back, the green water, is a, is a deep pond that holds monsoon rainwater year-round, and that's unusual in Cambodia. Usually they dry up, and then there's no water of any kind. But uh, these ponds that people drink from the, the cows and the chickens and the goats and the ducks and the snake, everything is in that water. And it's their drinking water for the most part, so it's not a surprise that they're sick all the time. Because that water, that pond has water year-round, we put a pump toward the bottom of it. You can see the little blue pipe just coming across there. There's, you know, nothing meets building codes in any way, but it works. Uh, OSHA is non-existent in Cambodia, so... Uh, then that goes up to the next slide where there's a little series of, of uh, a filter system up there that filters the water and it comes out clear and crisp and clean. It's just, uh, I had a glass and I'm still here. It's still, it's, it's worked just fine. So it's run by solar panels, by the way. So no electricity required. And that's kind of a pilot project that we hope to do more of. Um, there's 191 people in this village. That's six to 700 people that now have clean water for the first time ever in the history of this village. Life-changing for them. So another scripture that is very key to Linda and me, and it's, again, part of the backdrop of what we do when we go to Cambodia and, and how we focus and see our time and attention there. Um, it's come a very familiar passage out of James chapter 2, it's verse 15 to 17, where it says, Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. You see a need, and that's so obvious and apparent in a place like Cambodia. 
People have no food. They have no water. They have no roof over their head. If Linda and I go there, and we just say, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, but we do nothing for them, that's a dead faith. Dead faith means dead. Nothing to it. So we use um, meeting the physical needs of people as an entree into their life to share the good news, the living water with them of Jesus Christ. And it's effective. When, you, when we share Christ with people that have deep, deep physical needs, they can't hear us. Their tummy is rumbling. They're hungry. When their tummy is full, now they have time to sit down and listen. I'd like you to meet Pastor Philip Chia. Actually, in Cambodia, it would be uh, Chia Philip. They say the last name first. So I'm Grover John, you know, Grover Linda. That's why they call us Mr. John and Mrs. Linda all the time. So this is Philip. He's a wonderful young man in his mid-20s. He's a youth pastor at a church. Um, FFC, FFCC Church is the Faithful Family of Christ Church. Another great name, huh? Faithful Family of Christ Church. They're very descriptive in how they, they name their churches. His father is the pastor there. He's the, Philip is the youth pastor. He's on the left there in the red shirt. That's a, a team of youth leaders. This is a remarkable church in that they have a very large youth group, and they have 15 to 20 of these young people that are youth leaders. They meet every night of the week, seven nights a week, this youth group meets. And uh, they're just a remarkable group of people. They, uh, they, they take a little offering every night, and they throw a few shekels in the basket or whatever, and that's their missions money. So they have these regular missions trips they go on where they go out into the provinces in these very poor areas. And Linda and I have gone on these. It's just a fabulous thing to do. And they set up tarps for the old people and tarps for the youth group and tarps for the kids. And these youth leaders then spend a whole day with Bible teaching and songs and games. And then they feed everyone and we all go home. And it's, uh, they, they just do a whole litany of things in that in that church that are just incredible. Um, they work all over central and southern Cambodia, down close to the Vietnamese border. And uh, they do a lot, a lot with children. So we've just helped recently fund a, a coffee bar at their church. It'll become a hub for all the young people in that community. So, by the way, they also right now, uh, are helping distribute Bibles that we've raised money for. Some of you have helped with that, so thank you for that. Uh, we've just sent money for another 2,500 Bibles to them to distribute, and uh, they use that as a, an outreach. Uh, a person only gets a Bible if they've requested it through their pastor. So someone from the youth group meets with that person, and they talk about a methodology to study the Bible and how to do that, and then they follow up. It's a discipleship program. So uh, they also do another thing that is uh, just incredible there. They have a ministry to a place called Dump Hill. Dump Hill is the municipal garbage dump in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. It's a city of two and a quarter million people, and garbage is brought. You can see the, the mountain behind it. It's, uh, it, uh, it's hard to describe how enormous this place is. We're a continuous stream of garbage trucks coming in and dumping it. People live at Garbage Dump, at Dump Hill. They, um, 
They, they get scrap materials, and they make their little houses, and they have babies there, and they grow up and grow old there, and they die there. And it's the poorest of the poor in Cambodia. If you have no other options left, you go to Dump Hill. And so we've developed a ministry there. Linda, Linda would tell you that it's the most heartbreaking place she's ever, I think, ever been to. And I would agree with that. It's... Uh, Almost indescribable. It takes so they what they do is they they scavenge for plastic water bottles or any plastic, and they bundle it up and they sell it to a broker who takes it to Vietnam, and they sell it there to recycle. It takes two dollars a day to feed one person. Basic survival, two dollars a day. So they spend all day collecting water bottles. They bundle them up and sell them. Well, during the pandemic. All the borders got closed, so all of a sudden, sales to Vietnam stopped. They had no, no way to earn money. And in Cambodia, there is no safety net. There's no... Government doesn't step in to do anything. They're not going to feed you. There's no Section 8 housing. There's no anything. If you don't work, you don't eat. And if you don't eat, you die. And so it was this enormous crisis, and we raised money against some of you donated toward that for crisis food aid. We were able to provide over 150,000 meals to people in Cambodia, including Dump Hill, that had no way to eat. So, yeah, we've, uh, yeah, I have a little video to show you. I'll just let that speak for itself. So go ahead and watch this video. It's a heartbreaking place. You know, as we sit here this morning, we have uh, brothers and sisters in Christ living in that place. People we'll spend eternity with. And Lynn and I are deeply motivated to do something about the least and the lost. God is a God of broken things. He steps into the middle of a place like that. And there are followers of Christ there. That woman that uh, was standing with Linda in kind of the reddish outfit is a dear Christian lady, a widow, lives by herself. Her house is literally about six feet by seven feet. That's it. A little plastic tarp over it. So there's a lot of stories I could share. This is a drop in the bucket, but I, I hope I've given you a glimpse of um, some of the wonderful people we get to work with people who are demonstrating a deep desire to spend their life for Jesus Christ. These are all people that are very high-capacity, capable people. They could be earning a lot of money in the private sector, and they've chosen to follow this path. So I would just uh, challenge all of us this morning, including myself, let's choose the path King Asa took the first go-around. Let's cry out to God. Let's let him rescue us and save us. A loyal heart. I hope somehow this might encourage you this morning to uh, put your roots a little deeper yourself and our Lord Jesus Christ and live a life more fully committed to him. A.W. Tozer, I think, says it this way. One of my favorite guys it says, in this hour of all but universal darkness, one cheering gleam appears 
Within the fold of conservative Christianity, there are to be found increasing numbers of persons whose religious lives are marked by a growing hunger after God himself. They are athirst for God, and they will not be satisfied till they have drunk deep at the fountain of living water. So God bless you for the way you support our impact partners in this church. It's very humbling, and thank you for the way you support Linda and me and the way you pray for us. It's, uh, it's a real blessing, so let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for our time this morning to celebrate all that you're doing all over the world. Thank you for the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ and that you continue to offer that salvation to a lost and a dying world. Father, thank you for this church and for your church all over the world. Lord, would you keep pouring out your blessing, your goodness, your faithfulness in this place. Lord, would you go before us this week as we live and love others for Jesus? Would you give us ears to hear the Holy Spirit prompting and encouraging each one of us toward a deeper walk with you? And Lord, bless everyone here today that each would experience the wonderful love and grace that you shower on your children. Lord, I pray this morning for our impact partners both here at home and all over the world. Would you give them protection from the evil one? Would you guard them? Lord, and would you give them a boldness to share the good news? So we thank you, Lord, for this time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.